Welcome to the Best Self Podcast. Today, we've got Matt Sweetwood, CEO of Greener Process Systems. Took a company from 1 million to 100 million in 12 calendar months. That's incredible. Your juice, buddy. I love it. Your juice is motivating people to become the best version of themselves. I mean, you're a best-selling author. You're a, a single dad of five kids, and that's something we'll talk about a lot. Your whole story is incredible. And you've had to have pivots in there or have chosen to have pivots in there. So, man, we are in for a juicy conversation. I'm so excited. Thanks for being here. I am thrilled to be here and provide the juice. All right. I do want to talk about you raising your kiddos, ranging from eight, 18 months to eight years, I believe, when that first happened. And five kids trying to raise a, like build a business. And also trying to build a lifestyle at the same time. So many tough nuggets there. How did you reinvent yourself? Because that's a completely different dynamic. How did you reinvent yourself to become the best dad you can be while also being the best leader in your business you could be? Well, I think that it's a matter of just sheer desperation, right? You have sort of that moment where you start whining at first, because in my case, the mother of the kids walked out and then I just whined for a while, sure. complained, you know, felt sorry for myself. And then, you know, you have sort of that moment where these little kids are looking up at you and they're like, dad, what are we going to do? Right. right. And you look at them, you love them and you don't want them to end up, you know, walking into a parade and shooting people someday. Right. So you better, um, so you better actually figure out how to raise them in a way that they're going to be productive and well-adjusted human beings, which I can actually say they are. They all went to top colleges. They're all out. They're off the payroll for the parents out there that understand exactly what I mean. Right. You know, once your kids get into their 20s to have them off the payroll in yeah. today's world is a um, major accomplishment. Right. And I just think you just, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Cliche, meme, meme, meme. But I mean, that's really what it came down to is just sheer desperation on my part, just sort of finding my way. And I will tell you that the things that it took me to end up running a proper household as a single dad back in a time when dads didn't, you know, you never heard of this kind of thing. Right. And running a business which faced challenges, they have a lot of the same skill set. In fact, I've written articles that say the same. One time it was a well-featured article on LinkedIn someplace on one of their platforms where I just talked about what's the difference between great leadership and great parenting. The end result is very little. You actually kind of learn your way through both and you learn to lead by example and you learn to view your employees like family and sometimes you view your family like they're working for you and you be organized and you do all of those things. So I think it's just one of those... The, the situation you find yourself in your life elevates you if you want it badly enough. Yeah, man, that's a great answer. You're already slaying it. I think we'll still finish this thing. I, I kind of had a, a plan B in case I didn't like you after your intro. I'll you still, still like me? Nobody, well, nobody I might have been stretching it a I little bit. I knew I'd find somebody that would like me eventually. <laughs> Only because I like the picture in your background. Yeah, that's right. That's my book, by the way. What, 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 sorry, that's my book. That's leader of the pack. That's the book I wrote about how I raised five kids on my own and ran a successful business. Leader of the pack, Amazon, go check it out. Oh, it's incredible. You know, in fact, I read, I was reading through reviews on it and someone described it as uncomfortably brilliant. Yeah. And I thought that is freaking awesome. Can you go into like, why would someone describe that as uncomfortably brilliant? 
Uh, because the way I wrote the book, I'm originally a Jersey guy and Jersey people just kind of say what they mean and mean what they say. So the book is a very visceral walk through the agony that I faced and the difficult circumstances I faced and a massive mea culpa of all of the idiotic and stupid things that I did. And so I guess what they mean by uncomfortable is I've had people say to me, I got to like chapter whatever in your book and I felt like slapping you. Like, why do you keep doing these stupid things? Mm. And so I do that. I lay it out pretty honestly in the book because I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to be, you know, hey, look, you, you can do stupid things and still figure your way out of it. And, and if you see sort of how I position the book, I think it's pretty clever. The book has helped a lot of people. And for me, that's the most rewarding aspect because, you know, you write a book unless you're really famous and yeah. you get a, some big ass book advance. Right. right. You're not going to make right. money off the book. The no. book's your business card. Yeah. It's your calling card. It gets you onto these amazing podcasts and you get to talk about it. Right. But, you know, it really ends up. And if you read the reviews, how many people tell you the book helped them? It changed their lives. I probably once every week or two get someone call me and say, thank you for writing that. It saved my life. It helped me. It did that. And that's really what it's about. So uncomfortably brilliant. I, I take that as a compliment. It was really by design to be like that. That's so good. Do you think that deliberate discomfort is a prerequisite for success? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who just cruised into success. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that that's the way the universe, whether you're religious or not, God does it universe, whatever you want to use. Right. I mean, I think that you do not grow without significant discomfort. And I like the word discomfort, the more discomfort, the more you tend to grow. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find with a lot of people that I talk with and work with, they're always trying to find reasons to stay in pity city and use the victim victimitis card or running away from inconvenience rather than leaning into it. Well, I think for men in particular is that nobody really cares if you're sad or feel bad. Mm -hmm. I, you know, this is an issue that I think a lot of guys face. I think it's why the suicide rate for men is like four times that for women mm -hmm. is I just think that a man who can't, who doesn't sort of man up, and, and I don't mean that in a mean way, realizes that the help is not coming, it's going to come from within. You're not going to sit around in a support group and hold hands and feel better. It's really going to be up to you. I think that's a fundamental difference between mm -hmm. men and women and what they face inside. Not that women don't man up too. Right. And many of them do. And they're single parents and women, you know, have amazing journeys in their lives too. But for men, the emotional side I think really gets neglected. A lot of it our own fault. We just don't reach out for people like sure. that. And so if you stay in that pity mode, you're nothing good is going to happen for you. No. I've heard you talk about how pursuit of happiness should not be your pursuit. That's right. And so piggybacking on that, I read a stat the other day that 43% of people who tried to change jobs, reinvent themselves like 12 months ago are already trying to change jobs and reinvent themselves because they're not happy. So they're clearly missing it. What is it that they're missing? And generally speaking, maybe they're, maybe they're pursuing happiness and maybe that's part of their issue. What, what should they be pursuing? They should be pursuing maximizing the moment because you really have no idea what the, you don't even know what the weather is going to be tomorrow. So when you sort of play this game of where, you're always trying to get to the happy ending. 
happy endings, they do come along the way. I'm not saying there's never a happy ending along the way, but I think the focus, the primary way to live a happy life is to really stay in the moment. You will always have pressures tomorrow. There will be more problems tomorrow. There will be death at some point in the future for people that you know, I mean, to get as ugly as we can about it. Right. So we can sit there and say, you know, mom is 28 years older than me and she's going to die before me. And we need to be, we need to just think about that. Well, nobody thinks like that, right? You don't really think like that. You think that I'm going to enjoy my mom now and I'm going to enjoy time with her. I'm going to, whatever the case is. And I think that that focus in life is an extremely hard but worthwhile discipline when you stay in the moment. Like, you know where I'd rather be right now? Nowhere. I would rather be right here talking to you and sharing this. And I'm really enjoying this moment. It's like, you're a good guy. I really like you. I can tell already if you weren't living so friggin' far away from the entire human race out right. there in Idaho, I mean, we'd hang together. But no, but the point I'm making is to try that discipline of living in the moment and living. It doesn't mean you don't plan for the future and you spend all your money today. That's not what I'm saying, but it's sort of a mindset where today you feel good. Today, the weather is good. Today, you're going to do something really good. Like when I'm done here today, I'm going to go work out, which means that my body is going to feel better after I do it. I'm going to reduce my stress level. I know what I'm having for dinner. I'm going to have a good, so if I just sort of keep my mind a lot in that you tend to live a much happier, a much more balanced existence. Yeah, man. I couldn't agree more. All except for the part that I'd want to hang out with you. Yeah. Nobody wants to hang out with me. I was just hoping. <laughs> it was a little bit of a beg. Yeah. I mean, we've still got about five, 10 minutes. You've got a chance. Right. Uh, Not going to go well. No. <laughs> you said at the time of this recording, you were in Rome fairly recently and you were recording from the Coliseum pretty incredible. Yeah. And you had talked about how CEOs are today's gladiators. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I loved that. How can CEOs take what you've learned being a father, single dad of five, starting at 18 months old, how can they take the lessons you've learned and create a better leader? Because right and wrong, there's so much turmoil right now. I mean, some of it isn't even leadership's fault. It's just so much yeah. going on. People are fried. And leaders are having a really hard time keeping their people happy and focused and wanting to stay in their field. But I'll just take education, for instance. Education in the state of Idaho, two weeks ago, there was 800 teacher vacancies. And school starts in August. People are just jumping ship, not happy. And a lot of them are pinning it on leadership. How can they be better gladiators? How can any CEO leader of an organization be a better gladiator from your learnings as a father? I, I think that this is once again in a mindset category. I, I, always, I always find when I look at my career that if something isn't going right, you know, something, and believe me, it doesn't always go right. Anybody who tells you they're running a company, and everything, yeah. right? if you want, we can spend a 20 minute episode on <laughs> the things that went wrong in the past week for me and my company, but we'll just focus on this. So for me, it's a question that I always ask myself, how badly do you want it? So for a CEO, when the times get tough, obviously you have to toughen, you have to work harder, you have to do it. And so I always look to myself. So if something is not working, right? There's a problem with the teachers, with the staffing. I would simply turn to leadership and I would say, 
How badly do you want to staff your, your, your schools? How badly do you want that? Do you really want it? Because if you really want it badly enough, you're going to take whatever steps it takes. You're going to at least try your absolute hardest. And I know in the past when I failed at things or things go wrong, I turn to myself and I go, Matt, do you really want that badly enough? Is that why this is not working for you? Sometimes it's not the case, obviously, sometimes the circumstance. But I think that that drive of saying that I want to succeed at this and I'm going to do anything that takes, I think, is a really heavy motivator. It sort of gets you out of the mindset of the circumstances are too difficult so we can't succeed. Because you yeah. need to say to yourself, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We're gladiators. We need to actually go to battle. It doesn't matter whether we think the opponent is bigger or stronger. We're going to get thrown in that ring anyway. Absolutely. So we got to want to beat him more than he wants to beat right. us. And, and I know that's sort of like a little bit of a Zen thing, but it really is important because CEOs have to find the motivation. They have to find the drive. They have to think out of the box. And there's nothing that will force you to think out of the box faster than wanting something like do or die. Absolutely. And I say to myself that all the time. How badly do you want that, man? Right. How badly do you want it? Right. I love that. I look at a lot of uh, CEOs, leaders, whatnot, and a lot of them get, they get run out, get run out because they couldn't get their big ideas <clears throat> off the ground. Right. They couldn't get them off the ground. What would you say the most overhyped aspect of trying to get a big idea off the ground? I mean, you've run multiple companies, had a yeah. lot of success. You have a killer one going right now. What is like the most overhyped aspect of trying to get a big idea off the ground? I would say overhyped is what you think the maximum potential is. So when people look at something, they're like, I am entering a $20 billion market and everybody gets all excited about that. But when you really analyze it, you really want to understand the actual size of the business that you can potentially get. So it's very easy to get lost. And then when you think that you have a $20 million business and the business is only a million dollar business, not that it's only a million, right. it requires a completely different mindset, a completely different level of expectation. So overhyping the, overhyping the size of the business gets people into trouble. They spend too much building it. They overthink it too much. So really understanding that I think is extremely crucial in any business. And even if it's an existing business and you're looking to expand vertically or horizontally, you're looking to a new market, is to really understand that and not overhype it to yourself, overhype it to your staff, overhype every aspect of it to really understand that. To me, that really determines how you go with things. It also reflects back on your existing business because you're sitting there and you have this, I don't know, make up a number, you have a $10 million business. And you sit there and you go, you know, if we expand into this market, we're going to have a 50 million, but you really only can get 500,000 of that business. And you don't want to sacrifice your $10 million business to get 500,000. So I think really looking at that market size and not overhyping the potential, I think is really, really important for every CEO as they approach their business. That's really good, man. Would you say that people, you know, there's the people that believe that you should, you have your strengths, you should just hammer those strengths, kind of find other people to do your stuff that you're weaker at? Are you a person that believes that you should hammer your weaknesses just as much as you're hammering your strengths as a leader, as a person that's into growth? I really appreciate sort of the thought process behind that question. I think the answer is both. I think it, it, this is, you can't answer this in the most general sense. So I guess the way I would answer it is you always hammer your strengths. That's clear. 
right? You, you don't go away from your strength. Anybody who gives you that advice is giving you the wrong, the wrong advice. Right. But you have to look at your weaknesses and determine whether hammering your weakness is going to turn the hammer on you mm-hmm. or whether it will actually improve the circumstance. A good example of that is if you have a weakness in, in hiring people or running HR, right? If you screw up there, you can really cost your company a lot of money. You can really mess up. You can get yourself in legal trouble. You can do all sorts of things. So maybe there's an area where you hire, you bring in a specialist and you kind of let them do it. But there's other areas like maybe in sales, maybe you've never been strong from the CEO position in sales. So there I would say, you know, maybe you might want to try to work a little harder at that and really try to get more involved and improve yourself. So I think it really depends on what the weakness is and what the risk reward for hammering the weakness. I think that's really the safest way to, or the best way to answer that. That is great. We're pretty close to done here. I'm pretty close to kicking you to the curb, Sweetwood. I bounce. Yes. You know, I bounce back. (laughs) I wanted to kind of come full circle here and get back to a little bit, kind of the nuggets in your book. We've got, we've got kind of a wide ranging audience on here. And if you're speaking to a parent right now and they have a kiddo that's say coming into secondary, like junior high, high school-ish. I mean, you, you were sitting there, you had five kids, basically seven, seven-ish years apart type deal. So that is a lot of different levels of chaos. Yep. It sure what was. It, yeah. What advice? I had hair, by the way. That's a head hair. Yeah. That, you, you just don't have gray hair. You lost your hair. That's right. Yeah, it, it takes, away. It takes the focus off the rest of your face. It's, right, it's exactly all right. right. It's a very good thing. I agree. <laughs> what kind of advice would you give them? Because if they haven't encountered it, and if you, I don't know how you could possibly know unless you've had experience with kids or like a, a teacher or a coach in advance, you don't totally know what you have coming. You think you do, but the kids go through so many different changes. What advice would you give to a, a parent that's getting ready to go through those stages. They have multiple kids. What advice would you give them? Something that it took me a while to learn is to don't be too reactionary. So one of my favorite expressions, what I I would use, actually, I would even use it on my own kids eventually at the end. I would say, even though that happened, you can still go to Harvard. Okay. So I, I tried it to, and when I coach people, I've coached other single parents and things like that. Typically CEOs that are single parents have been sort of in my sweet spot of coaching. And I always say to them, don't sweat it. Just let it go. Okay. I understand that didn't go like you like, or it was difficult or whatever. You're going to get through this. It'll pass and they can still go to Harvard. And so I think that that really is the viewpoint, this sort of long view that you don't get caught up you know, the kid gets kicked off the soccer team, okay? mm-hmm. whatever, or gets right. dropped, dropped from the soccer team. Okay. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Okay. You know, whatever, or they talk back to the teacher or they they're struggling with a subject or whatever. They have the wrong girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. Right. I'm not saying you don't intervene, but you, you try not to be overreactionary to it. To me, that's really the best way to parent and will provide you with the best experience. Awesome. And, and I think that that's a really important point. A lot of parents get really wound up with the little stuff that goes on. How do I know this? Because I screwed up so many times with my kids 
right? They screwed up plenty of times. And my kids went to Columbia and they went to the Elliott School of International Affairs and, uh, you know, Northwestern and when they graduated and they're off the payroll, as we said. So all of this happened despite all of the chaos, as you put it, and catastrophe. Yes, I love it. And I love you already mentioned earlier that this all translates across the board, whether we talk about leading an organization or leading a household. Yeah. All these things you talk about not being reactionary, man, one of the quickest ways to lose the people on your team is to be an impulsive knee jerk reactionary type yeah. person. No one wants to work for that person. That's right. You have to be a uh, Sully Sullenberger, right? You know, That's as right. plane yep. is going, going down, you got to be just like that all the time. I had this today. We have uh, uh, my company, Greener Process Systems. We're running a fundraise on Start Engine. And I have like people all excited. We need to do this with the marketing. We're actually doing pretty well with this. We have a, an amazing product. We capture the emissions of ocean going ships and we got a fundraise going on Start Engine. And I had people like yelling, like we need to do this and all emotional. And I'm just kind of sitting there. That's a great idea. I really, right? Because if I sure. start to get, if I start to yeah. get emotional and I start to do this kind of thing, like it's yeah. not going to go well. So I just like, right. mm, yeah. Right. So yeah. I really think sort of not being reactionary is a fundamental quality of leadership. It's a fundamental quality of leadership that will lead to success in multiple ways. Yes. And what I mean by reactionary, I mean by emotionally reactionary. Yeah. I'm not talking about operationally reactionary. Being operational reactionary usually is very good because you, you sit on your butt and bad things can happen. So sometimes right. you need to react, but never emotionally. Right. Cool like a cucumber. Right. right. I think about most of the times when I have not been disciplined, it was me at reacting to my feelings. That's right. When I you know the you know the rules. You never respond to it, never write an email when you're angry. Yep. If someone insults you, you never insult them back. You just if they're angry, you stay calm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you take blame right away. I'm sorry, or you identify with, I mean, you know, all the, right. the, the techniques. Yeah. And if you do this, you become a much more effective leader and people really respect you for that. Yeah, it's a you superpower know. for sure. It's a superpower for yeah. sure. You got 30 seconds to talk to the audience at the time of the recording, 61 countries wide. How can they create the best version of themselves today? I think it comes down to my slogan. It's how badly do you want to create the best version of yourself? Most people are born with a sense of right and wrong and what's how to work hard and how to be successful. You just got to want it badly enough. You got to want to go for it. You can't be lazy. You can't be immoral. Even though people think that you can cook your way to, you cannot. You have to stay focused and work really hard at making yourself the best version and you will be successful. I don't know anybody who doesn't follow that strategy. Everybody who's successful will tell you they worked their butt off, they stayed focused on it. And when they failed, they just picked themselves up and tried again and tried again and tried again because they wanted it badly enough. Mm. So good, man. I really, really appreciate you coming on board. This has been an awesome conversation. It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet, man. Make it a great day.